Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and I'm glad to be with you today. Joining me on our panel today are Vicki Cundiff, Mick Wells, and Steve Wilson. And we're going to be revisiting, I guess might be the best word for it, a topic that we started several weeks ago, and I think what we're going to be doing is having this kind of as a recurring theme from time to time. And it's called Christian sayings. And what we do during this time is look at a lot of different Christian sayings that you might find where on maybe Facebook or t-shirts or just things that people say um, and kind of discuss the true meaning of these sayings. And Steve, as you are so great at doing, you're the one who brought these to our attention for most of them anyway, and you're kind of leading the discussions of these, and you do such a great job of it. I am looking forward to um, sharing these things today. So why don't you take it away? Okay, so our first saying today is, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to the garage makes you a car. I like that one. I, I'm always reminded of the uh, of of when is a boy not a boy when he rounds the corner and turns into a drugstore. <laughs> he turns into a drugstore. So, going into a garage doesn't make you a Christian anymore. Right. Or uh, yeah, going into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. I like that. Right. You know, uh, Bob and I attended a church. Uh, the pastor who came up with a, a parallel version of, of this particular saying. And uh, on more than one occasion, he used to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Yeah. That's a corollary, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so, so what, is, what is this saying saying? The moral of the story is there's more to being a Christian and becoming one than just the sake of, of going to church. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with your Christianity. Our salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there have been people who have gone to church for years and never believed in Jesus or never uh, really experienced that life change. So, you know, yeah. Steve, I, I was looking on the Internet and found... A, uh, somebody quoted 11 bad reasons to go to church. Now, maybe somebody who thinks they're a Christian because they go in the door are uh, guilty of some of this. Mm-hmm. you mind if I share that with you? Yeah, go ahead. 11 bad reasons to go to church. First is trying to find a spouse. Mm-hmm. Second is so you are able to call yourself a Christian. Three, so you can look religious to your family and friends. Next is to find clients for your business. I actually know of people <laughs> like that. One is to sing in the choir or play instruments as their primary purpose, you know. I've known people who do that. And one was to justify your sin. Maybe in some people's mind they think sin, they can sin as long as they walk in the door of a church. And one is I'm trying to get right with the Lord. Uh Number eight, the preacher is very popular. I know people that go to a specific church because of the preacher. One is for the for the entertainment. 
Another is you think that because you go, God will answer your worldly prayers. And the last one is your family goes to an unbiblical church, but you don't want to leave because if you do, it might mess up your relationship with them. Hmm. Those are 11 bad reasons to, to, to go, go to, to church, church or to a particular church. Yeah, and they, I think they missed the main point. Using the words that you often use, Mick, those could be an episode unto themselves, I think. Sounds mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ready to go to the next one? Well, yeah, but let me before we go on there, I just want to I just want to make sure that we don't move off of this one so quickly that we leave it with the idea, well, okay, so I don't have to go to church. It's important for Christians to to go to church. It's just like as what Vicky said, just going doesn't make you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, or if you're not a Christian and you do want to, you know, seek God, but the idea is church is still a good thing to do. It's just mm-hmm. that going there in and of itself is not what makes a person a Christian. Not enough. Well, you know, the Bible says that in the end times, uh, among the things that people will do is is have a form a form of godliness, but to deny the power thereof. And uh, Timothy or Paul to Timothy says, "Have nothing to do with such people." So. You know, if going into church is to maintain an image and not to worship God or uh, if you're effectively denying the power of God just for image purposes going through the door of a church, I think there is scripture that argues against uh, going to church just for show, Mm -hmm. having a a form of godliness. I think of uh, certain politicians trying to get votes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I won't say any more on that. No, we don't want to get political. Go to the next one. Our church is like fudge, sweet with a few nuts. Sweet with a few nuts. Our church is like fudge, sweet with a few nuts. Well, I'm one of the nuts, I guess. It's always good to have a few nuts in the church. It just makes things fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, if the congregation's big enough, I think it's inevitable. There's so many different personalities, and pastors have an interesting challenge trying to keep things smooth in churches with uh, diverse opinions and personalities and styles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a fun way of trying to say uh, a very important truth really is that church is not a perfect place full of perfect people. Now, if that's the way that people mean this and they're just trying to make it in a lighthearted way, that's, that's fine. I think that there's a lot of uh, truth to that. Um, I don't know, sweet? Is everybody supposed to be sweet in church? I don't know. Are they supposed to be um, truthful? Yeah. Um, Have you ever talked to somebody who no matter how bad something is, they make it sound so sweet? Oh, bless your heart. I heard that that's a Southern saying. I'm not sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, so this one uh, is kind of like it. God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. I don't know that I've heard that one as much as the other two. Um, gosh, we could really delve into this because there are some people who I can think of, maybe not personally by name, but who start spouting things that are supposed to be Christian or spiritual, 
and I wonder what nut tree they fell out of, because really what they're talking about isn't biblically based. Um, It isn't anything that I have heard that would be doctrinally sound. So um, God wanting spiritual fruit, sure. And of course, um, isn't it Galatians 5, um, 6 and 7 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we look for, I would hope, in, Mm -hmm. in Christians. I was looking at the scripture and there's a section in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 that talks about people who have a, quote, unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, uh, and constant friction among people. But it, uh, a few verses later it says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. It says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So I I think in any given uh, situation among groups of Christians, you're going to find elements of both of these. And so it kind of lends itself to talking about spiritual fruit. And but there are religious nuts out there engaged in quarreling Mm -hmm. controversy. Mm hmm. One of the things that I would like to correct very quickly is that was Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I said the wrong ones. I was getting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in my brain for whatever. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Okay. So religious nut, uh, Mick, you talked about quarreling. I think of someone who's a religious nut as being someone who likes to air their opinions and maybe sometimes they don't do it in the right context. So, you know, they're kind of a little too zealous to, to talk about what they believe, a little too insistent on it. So I like this. I like the comparison. Spiritual fruit is, you know, it, it's kind of more based on your inner uh, growth in God rather than airing your opinions. So I like this one. Don't be a religious nut. Okay, so here's another one about the church. Acting up in church is like dressing up for an x-ray. Now, I had to think about what this one means. Acting up in church is like dressing up for an x-ray. What do you think that means? What's an example of acting up? I, I, I drew a blank on this one. Okay. If I'm acting up in church, give me an example of what, what that means. Right, because I don't think that I've ever seen this one other than in your list. You know, it's not, I've mm-hmm. seen, I haven't seen this on a Facebook meme. I haven't seen it on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. So I'm not exactly sure what it was looking for either. And I'm kind of like what Mick just said, that what, what, what does it mean to act up in church? So it's not acting out. It's acting up. All age groups. Now, I acted up as a kid. You know, I didn't sit there quietly with my hands folded. You know, I was throwing paper wads at my sister and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I can understand that as acting up, but I assume this applies to your rank-and-file churchgoer. Well, this this is more, it's not about misbehaving. It's about behaving better. So acting better because you're in church, acting up, like, you know, upwards. Okay. Acting up in church is like dressing up for an x-ray. 
So dressing up like dressing better is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. You take your suit, you wear your suit, go into the x-ray. Is there any point to that? Well, the word pretense comes to mind, you know, if, if we, and I'm sure we're all guilty of this to some degree, you know, uh, we don't act like we do in front of a television when our football team loses the game or something. Go preacher, yeah! Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, there, there are certain things that we do in church uh, or things that we wouldn't do in church, which may come as acting up, but the x-ray gets into the concept of, a, of some kind of examination. Maybe it is that people around you are wondering who you are because... You're not the same person they remember on the outside. Mm-hmm. I picture it as God. God's the x-ray. All right, He can see what we're like. So if we're putting on a show, trying to act better than we are just because we're in church, God's going to see that. And so there's really no point to it. We need to be genuine. That's a good point. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. So God wants us to be genuine when we come to Him. Any kind of pretense we put on isn't going to impress him. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, I want to talk about dressing up in church. Welcome back to Reconciling Grace. We're doing an episode on Christian sayings, and the last one we just read... Just give you some context for where we're going in the conversation. It says, acting up in church is like dressing up for an x-ray. And we talked about how we don't have to uh, put on a show for God. We don't have to act better than we are when we go to church because it won't get us any points. But now I want to talk about dressing up in church. Does your church have a dress code? You know, some churches do, but I think most churches' dress codes are pretty much unspoken dress codes. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. And there was uh, a church I recall where a fellow would stand at the door, and if a lady came in in slacks, he'd turn her away. So whether or not they had a written dress code, it it was... He did. He had one. Yeah, (laughs) he did. Our church is casual. I mean, you can... I say that, but at the same time, you can dress up, you know, just however, dress however you please. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the culture of the church. Mm-hmm. Do people dress up? Is it, you know, a casual church where people are supposed to feel more comfortable? Uh, how do you all feel about dressing up in church? Is that something that we should do? Does it not matter? What's your opinion? I think it goes to each individual person and each individual congregation. Um I've, I've seen it both ways in my Christian life. Um, and when I say I've seen it both ways, I've actually seen people who sincerely look at it um, both ways. I have never been a person who likes to dress up. I, I do not like to dress up for anything. I mean, getting those suspenders on and the suits and everything. It takes me 15 or 20 minutes just to get the clothes on. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to throw some clothes on and be comfortable. Uh, but at the same time, I remember speaking to a person who 
I, I respect very much. Um, in fact, if I were to say his name, he would probably be well known to most of our listeners as a nationally known Christian author and teacher. And he was pointing out that from the beginning of, for instance, in the United States, before it was the United States, he would say even the, the people who first came to this continent um, and were trying to represent Christ would make it a point to dress up because they felt that they were trying to give of their best to God, and this was showing their way of doing it. I'm not saying that one way is right or another, but I think that each person's conscience and um, and and their situation they're in in their church would probably have something to say with that. And I think it can cause a lot of trouble. I've seen that happen a lot uh, based on what you are going to wear. Uh, it's, it's, like you said, an individual preference. If people want to dress up, fine. Like I said, our church, if you want to dress up, that's fine. And if you don't, that's fine too because— to refer back to the religious nuts, you can be a religious nut about that, a fanatic mm-hmm. uh, about that, and I've seen it run people off. And so the purpose of Christianity is about what's on the inside and about God transforming your heart, and the church is supposed to be there for us to gather together and love on each other and encourage each other, and I don't find any encouragement in somebody harping on what you wear. <laughs> You know, I think that we should accept everybody. Not everybody has certain clothes to wear. Not everybody can afford them. Um, it matters what's on in the heart rather than what's on the outside of you. I had a couple of thoughts on this. If there's not a written dress code, and I would hope there wouldn't be one, but uh, I think the tone is set by the pastor. If the pastor comes in and sits casually on a stool with an open shirt, um, I think the people understand that they could come in casually. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, thinking back on my experience in the church, people would dress more casual if it was a Wednesday night service than it would be if they were a, a, a Sunday morning mm-hmm. service. And then I was thinking, too, there's a scripture about, uh, in effect, compliance with what's going on around you to the extent it doesn't violate your conscience so that you don't hurt the faith of another. If I'm going to hurt the faith of another by coming in casually, then I'll probably up it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Good. So I'm wearing a t-shirt tonight. Got my superhero t-shirt on. It looks like a stained glass window from here. Oh, you know what? I'm wearing a different shirt than I thought. Looks like a coat <laughs> okay. of arms. Anyway, I'm wearing a t-shirt, uh, but I wouldn't wear a t-shirt when I go... A Sunday morning worship, and it's not, you know, I'll probably wear a polo, I'm not going to wear a suit, so I'll step it up a little bit when I go to church, but I think uh, it just all depends on your motive. Are you worshiping God by saying, I want to give God my best, um, or do you feel like, you know, you, you don't need to do that? You give God your best in, in your attitude, and your thoughts, so, okay, good, that was just kind of a and aside from the last saying we had, this next one, uh, Pete sent me this. There is power in prayer. You know, I've heard that one. I've said that one on Faith and Friends Radio. We have a little spot um, that that we will play on Faith and Friends Radio, and it's the various different um, radio program hosts that will say there's power in prayer and, you know, whatever, we'll pray for you or we'll, we want to hear about your prayer requests and stuff. And I, I believe in prayer very much. But the reason why I suggested this one 
was the word power. Um, is it is it like some kind of a turning on an electric switch where all of a sudden, oops, you say it or you say it enough times, and and it's going to generate this this godly power? Is it going to be if we pray it that it's automatically going to make something happen? Um, that's just one of those questions that I that I wanted to maybe look at. So, what is the power in prayer? Would sure, be sure. A good question. Yeah, I kind of avoid that particular cliche because I recognize people pray the world over, but the world over is not all Christian. You find in the scriptures people praying to idols. Um, you find people that believe there's power in the words, which I don't believe is the case. There's power in the one you pray to. Uh, there's not. I don't ascribe power to the words I speak, but I am praying... To, uh, my prayer, if, if it's a, a prayer of petition, I am asking my Christian God, who is the power behind uh, answered prayer of those who will uh, come to him. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make clear that when I brought up this particular saying, it's not that I don't believe in prayer, because I do. But I, again, I was just getting to the point about the power um, aspect of it, I think. Mm-hmm. So when I think of the power of prayer, I think about the relationship behind it. Um, The fact that I can talk to God and that we have this relationship where, uh, you know, he lets me share what I'm thinking about and wanting. Um, There's power in that relationship. He might not answer my prayer, but the fact that he listens to me uh, is powerful to me. I think that part of the thing that I was thinking of was the whole, what you might want to call the name it, claim it um, Mm -hmm. aspect. I think that that sometimes, and doesn't necessarily mean to do so, but it sometimes maybe promotes that type of thinking. Or sometimes you'll hear, uh, like quite a number of years ago, there was the book, The The Prayer of Jabez. Mm -hmm. And so people had this idea, well, if I pray this prayer then God will honor it and, you know, make it come true for me. I still remember it. It was expand my territory. Yeah. So there's no, there's no magic words. There's no, even the Lord's Prayer, you pray the Lord's Prayer, it's not a magic formula, right? It's a, it's a pattern for us. I can remember that as a young, young, young Christian, I used to think that I would pray but then if I really, really wanted, I pray in Jesus' name. And, you know, that's, that's that kind of... the deal. Yeah, kind of, that's basically what you were talking about. I know it sounds silly, yeah. but that was a true understanding of a very young Christian. And, you know, I, I believe that I was truly a Christian then. I just didn't have the understanding. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I'm glad we're going through these kinds of discussions here, because I'm hoping that people who might hear these things might realize, hey, I might not be so silly after all, because I think these things, and, and I just want to make sure that people understand we're not making fun of anybody here. It's things that we have probably, in one way or another, have all experienced in our in our lives. And all these things are things that good-meaning Christians say, right? And, and part of the reason why I want to do this one is because sometimes we know what we mean by these sayings. We understand the subtext of it. But when we put it on Facebook or put it on a bumper sticker and a non-Christian reads it, they could get the wrong idea. Very true. So, okay, let's keep that in mind as we, uh, as we hit another one here. Another one on prayer. Prayer changes things. 
again, I, I was the one who suggested this one, and um, yes, prayer does change things, but I've also heard it said, and this is kind of a corollary to this particular one, it's not that prayer changes things, prayer changes me. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because so often I think that people, again, very well-meaning, go to God and want God to act like a, I hate to use the term, but spiritual genie. Like I have these wishes that I want and God's going to grant these wishes where when I pray so often, you know, I've heard people say, well, you just need to, again, we talked about the name it and claim it people before, um, People will just say, you need to really believe that you're going to get what you want. And so often when I pray for something, it could be somebody's healing. It could be a situation that I want to see changed or whatever. And as I'm praying it, and I'm just about getting to the point where, yes, Lord, this is really, really, really what I want to pray for that you will do. And all of a sudden the thought comes to my mind, but what if this isn't God's will? What if God has something else in mind? And so the relationship will change my attitude. Prayer changes me. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking a lot about prayer because uh, for a long time I felt like, well, prayer doesn't really do anything because God already knows what he wants to do. And the purpose of prayer is just for me to talk to God. He's let that communication be open. And so... You know, I don't think God's going to change his mind by what I say. And I've been challenged by that thought lately as I've been reading the scriptures and it'll say, and God listened to whoever it was. And God listened to, and God listened to. And so I'd say, you know, part of our relationship is, uh, is respect. It's mutual respect. We respect what God wants to do. In his grace, he also respects us. And we'll sometimes uh, answer our prayers just because we've asked him to. And so, yeah, sometimes even in the Bible, I, I can remember seeing times when God answered the prayers of somebody, even though he knew it wouldn't be the best. One of the things that I like to point to is when Israel kept asking for a king. Mm-hmm. God basically said to them, you don't want a king. And they say, oh, yes, we do. And no, we don't. No, you don't. Yes, we do. And so he finally said to Samuel, okay, I'm going to have them, I'm going to have you anoint them a king, but I want you to tell them what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next one, again, about the church. There is no I in church. No I in the word church. Well, the Bible does speak of the church in a, the form of unity. Mm-hmm. So there is I in unity. <laughs> there, that's right. <laughs> I just thought yep. I'd say that. But anyway, it, it shouldn't be about me. It shouldn't be about uh, being that one individual, but uh, the church is supposed to represent Christ, and the church is supposed to come together in unity and in love, and so that's what I take to mean from that. Mm-hmm. There's no I in church. What if you go to a church... And you really don't fit there. The church culture is different. The worship style is different. You don't feel like you're learning anything from the teaching. How does there's no I in church relate to that kind of situation? I think there's a balance. Um, 
personally, I think that that's a lot of the reason why there are so many different um, denominations, so many different uh, choices to go to as far as even local churches, because we're all different. Um, what speaks to one person may not speak to another person as well. What what church focuses on one aspect of the kingdom of God might not be the same focus as another church. But Steve, as you said while we were off mic, don't destroy the unity because you don't fit in there. You can go somewhere else if you want, but don't destroy the unity of a congregation. And with that, we are just about out of time. So Steve, I have enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to the next time we have another um, episode on this. And so for Steve Wilson, Mick Wells, and Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi. Thanks for joining us. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.